Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Today I'd like to share with you three ways to overcome panic. If you stop and think about it, most of us are on the verge of panic all day, every day. But in Isaiah 7, we find a three-step formula to overcome our fear that produces panic and anxiety attacks. Here's the good news. You don't have to be a super confident person or even a good person to begin to apply these principles and see good results in your life. Listen to me, this world is a dangerous place, but there are people out there who have learned not to panic in the face of the threats of danger. How do they do it? They've learned to apply three simple steps to avoid panic. So listen in and be blessed. Let's jump in to three ways today, three ways to overcome panic from Isaiah chapter 7. How many of you have had a panic attack in your life in some form or fashion? I'm raising my hand because I've had one or two or three or dozens. Panic attacks, anxiety attacks. I'll tell you one of my anxiety attacks was halfway up a cliff once at Elephant's Butte or Elephant Butte, whatever it's called. Uh, We'd taken a boat out there. It was before I was married. I've never told my parents this story, so I'm sorry. (laughs) We took a boat out there. Um, We were going to go climb up this cliff and jump off into the water. I wasn't going to jump off. I was just going to go up the cliff and watch everybody else jump off. I just don't do those types of things. But I got up halfway, half, half the cliff, probably two or three stories high, and I just panicked completely freaked out and there was a little ledge I was standing on about this so my toes were hanging off my heels were on my back was plastered against the the wall and I panicked and I told myself in my head just go ahead and fall because you're going to anyways just go ahead and get it over with Fortunately, I had the presence of mind, and I'm sure God was helping me to collect myself, collect my thoughts, and say, you know what? I got up this high. I can get myself back down again. Life deals us situations where we panic in all kinds of different examples of it, and God wants you to overcome your panic attacks. He wants to over, wants you to overcome your anxiety, overcome your fears, overcome your worry. We're going to study three ways to overcome panic from Isaiah chapter 7. So if you want to follow along on the screen or you can read your Bibles, follow along in your Bibles, I encourage you to always bring your Bible to church. Bring your Bible, read along in your Bible. It gets you familiarized with it, and that way throughout the week you know how to find things, and that's very helpful. In fact, it's essential. Isaiah 7 chapter 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now, let just real quick, we talked about King Ahaz several weeks ago, but I realize, you know, all those kings' names start garbling in your mind and you can't remember one which one was which so let me remind you a little bit about king ahaz he was a wicked king he was so wicked that he took his children and sacrificed them to idols by burning them through in the fire he's wicked he engaged in many detestable practices 
He worshipped in the high places, means, meaning he worshipped to all these other gods. We know there's only one God, but all these gods, they'd go up on hills and under trees, build an altar, and do all kinds of gross stuff as part of their, their means of worship. Remember once hearing or reading of an interview with an ISIS uh, warrior fighter, and he spoke of how when he abused people, he felt like he was worshipping Allah. All right. What's discussed in the Bible or described in the Bible is alive and well in our world today. Evil is still evil. It's it's horrible. It's unspeakable at times. This King Ahaz, he built an altar to foreign gods and put it in the temple of the Lord and shut the doors of the temple. What if we were to just, you know what, say, I have a bad day and I say, you know what, I'm done being a pastor. We're going to shut the doors of this church we're going to not renew our lease. You guys go find another church. How would we feel? That'd be terrible. But that's what happened. King Ahaz closed the doors of the temple and had literally altars set up to idols at every street corner in Jerusalem. He completely flipped out. So we're talking about a really bad king that set a very, very bad example for the, the kingdom of Judah and for the city of Jerusalem. So what happens in this verse is two kings form an alliance and they come to attack Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel, that was Pekah, King Pekah, and then King Rezin, who was from Syria, they merged forces and they said, we're going to come attack Jerusalem. But the Bible says they couldn't overpower it even though there was a bad king in Judah, they still couldn't overpower it. Verse 2, now the house of David, that's Judah, uh, was told King Aram, or excuse me, Aram, that's Syria, was allying itself with Ephraim, that's Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken. They panicked. Shaken like trees in the forest and shaken, uh, which are shaken by the wind. Have you ever been so scared that your hands are trembling? Yeah. I had something happen to me in the last five or six weeks that could very easily have caused me panic. And I notice, here's, here's whenever I panic, you know what I do? I get very cold. I get start freezing, and I start slightly trembling just a little bit. And I always know when I'm nervous, I'm going to get cold. My mouth is going to get like a cotton. You know, I, I need water, you know. And so whenever I go into a meeting where I know I'm going to be nervous, I always have a bottle of water. And if I can, I'll have a coat on, too. <laughs> we all deal with nervousness in different ways. Some of us literally tremble when we're scared. Literally tremble. So these, these, this, the people of Jerusalem were shaking like trees in the forest. Why were they so scared? I mean, other than knowing that two kings were, were coming to attack, then why were they so scared? Let me, listen to me. They had reason to be scared. Let me tell you what had been happening throughout several years in the kingdom of Judah. First of all, Pekah, the king of Israel, had already been attacking Judah for quite some time and taking villages away from Judah. They had killed 120,000 troops already of Judah's army. There was reason to be scared. Furthermore, they had also kidnapped 200,000 women and children from Judah. They had reason to be scared. It'd be like you 
receiving a report from the doctor that you have cancer and you've already lost three or four loved ones who've had cancer. That fear comes and says, if it happened to them, it's going to happen to me as well. You have reason for your fear, right? You see what I'm saying? That was the situation that they were in. They were being raided from the Edomites. So from the north, they were being attacked. From the, let's see, the east across the Jordan where Edom was, they were being raided. And from the west on the Mediterranean, there was the Philistines, kind of where the uh, current Palestinian uh, you know, Gaza Strip is. They were being raided from the Philistines. They were being raided from almost every single direction. And now these two kings were coming. And listen, uh, well, you're going to find out what these two kings were saying. Uh, but here's what happens. Even though King Ahaz is a bad guy, bad guy. The Lord tells Isaiah, go out, you and your son, whose name I can't even pronounce, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. How many of you know that God is very precise? He is very precise. When he tells you to do something, he gives you details. Maybe not all up front, but as you take one step at a time, the Bible says in, in Psalms 37 that he busies himself in your every step. God is interested in the details of your life. Many times we think, oh, God doesn't care about that. God cares about everything. He cares about everything. So he gives Isaiah very precise instructions, not only where to meet the king, but he also says what to say. And he says, say to him, be careful. Here's three ways to overcome panic. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Those are the three things we're going to study today. But let me finish this little story all the way through verse 9. He goes on, he says, don't lose heart. What does it mean to lose heart? To lose heart is when you, you lose your hope. You just have no hope that anything is ever going to turn out right for you. You're hopeless. Another, another word might be to say you're demoralized. Have you ever been demoralized at work because of a bad boss, a bad situation? You're just demoralized and you think, my job is a dead-end job. I don't have any support. Everything's going to work out for, you know, in a negative fashion for me. That's being demoralized. But Isaiah was telling the king, don't be demoralized. Don't be hopeless. Don't be discouraged. Have you ever been discouraged? You're just low as, as a snake's belly. That's how low you are, all right? And the ground just slithering. You, you can't get up. You can't even look up. You're discouraged. But he said, don't be these ways because these two smoldering stubs of firewood, don't you like how God describes these two kings that were coming against King Ahaz? He calls them two smoldering stubs of firewood. In other words, they're going to be used just as firewood. They're not even going to amount to a hill of beans because of the fierce anger. Now listen to these words. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia, those are the two, the, the two countries. Don't get confused with all the words and names here. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramali's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let's invade Judah, let's tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Look at these words just really quick. Fierce anger. Have you ever been somebody, have you ever had somebody mad at you and it made you scared? They're mad, they're 
They're ticked off at you. They're furious with you. Doesn't that unsettle you a little bit when you know someone is really upset with you? These two kings were coming. They were, they were mad at Judah. They were upset at Judah. They had fierce anger. They plotted their ruin. Have you ever had uh, maybe a spouse? Your marriage is on the rocks, and the spouse is trying to plot your ruin, or a boss that's trying to just wreck your life. Have you ever experienced that before? or thought that it might happen to you. It says, let's invade Judah. Has anybody ever attacked you personally, attacked your reputation, attacked your character, attacked your work, attacked who you are? I think we've all experienced somebody who's personally attacked us. Doesn't feel good. It's very, very unsettling. And they said, we're going to tear this country apart. Let me tell you something. The devil hates you. The devil has always hated you, and he always will hate you. He wants to wreck your life. One of the biggest epiphanies, okay, on this one side, you know what epiphany is? It's like, ding, 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 ding. The, the, the light bulb goes off in your head. You realize something you never realized before. That's what I'm talking about. Over here is an epiphany. God loves me. Ooh, thank goodness. He loves me even when I mess up. He always picks me up. He always cares for me. He always loves me. That is the most important enlightenment you could ever have in your life is that Jesus loves you. I was, I was at a gas station. I'm, I'm really trying to push myself to tell people about Jesus. All right, so I'm in this gas station. Now, I'm walking into this gas station. I walk by this lady rather tall lady holding a baby and I have this guy behind me both walking to the convenience store to pay for gas as I open the door I hear the guy behind me mumble something and I turn around and said yeah what'd you say he said she was tall like you know and I was thinking well he must really think she's pretty you know and he's kind of looking at her in a in a bad way and I said I the first thought that comes to my mind I said well my wife's tall too <laughs> that's all I said we went in got our stuff paid and as I was walking out, I was thinking, you know, this guy needs to know that Jesus loves him. <laughs> so I turned around to him as he's paying. I said, hey, you know what? I want to tell you something. Gee, and I looked him in the eye. I didn't want to quick pass by, you know. I looked him in the eye. I said, Jesus loves you. And he got all kind of weirded out. He said, oh, yeah, well, thanks. All right. And didn't want to talk anymore. We need to know that Jesus loves us. Every human being needs to become aware, not head knowledge, heart knowledge, that Jesus loves us. But listen to me on this. You know what other thing you need to know? Just as equally, just almost as importantly, is how much the devil hates you. You have a target on your back. He's aiming at you. He wants you to be in pain, physical pain. He wants you to be in emotional pain. He wants your mind to be a wreck. He wants your finances to be a wreck. He wants your marriage to be a wreck. He wants your future to be a wreck. And that's never, ever going to change. You can't have a truce with the devil. It's either you or it's him. And you know what? It's not going to be you. You got to make up your mind. It's not going to be me. And the only way to deal with the devil is offensively attacking him, attacking him, attacking him, attacking him. 
Never on the defense. You are not a victim of the enemy if you are in Christ Jesus. You are not a victim. You never will be. All right? And so, hey, somebody wants to tear your life up? That's, that's just the way it's going to be. There's people out there. There's evil out there. There's the enemy out there that wants to wreck your life. They want to tear you up and spit you out. You're never going to have a truce with evil. You're always going to be attacking it. How do you attack evil, by the way? How do you do it? What's that? Telling lies? Yeah, you know what? If evil comes to you, you speak the truth. You counter it. The Bible says don't be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. You attack evil by prayer. Talk to God, and in doing so, you're attacking evil. Read your Bible, and you're attacking evil. Practice the Bible, and you're attacking evil. Tell somebody that Jesus loves them. You're attacking evil. Vote. <laughs> Cast your vote in this country for the least worst candidate. You're attacking evil. Do everything that you possibly can to go against evil. Don't, don't set a defense. Be offensive. It's either you or it's the enemy. And you know what? It's not going to be you. You're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to overcome. You know how I see my life. This is not going to paint a pretty picture, but this is the reality. You know, my life is like walking in a, a swamp in Louisiana. All right? Brother Jimmy, I'm Louisiana. And I've got the water in the swamp up to my neck. And I've got all kinds of alligators going around me, snakes. I take one step, my foot sinks down deep into the mud, all right? I'm always going to have risks around me. I can't get to a place of complete and perfect safety except through Jesus Christ. The Bible says I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. Praise God. And so I have evil all around me. I'll feel it slithering up against me. I'll have a crocodile come and open its mouth and try to threaten me. But you know what? I have Jesus on my side. I have Jesus on my side. He is on your side if you'll get on his side. <laughs> There's a church here in town that says, Jesus is on your side. Well, he's on your side if you're on his side. So jump the fence and get on Jesus' side. He is going to protect you. Listen to some of these verses. Here's how I know that in that Louisiana swamp, I'm okay. It says in Matthew 28, 18, that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. I have no reason to panic. I have no reason to panic. I'm going to go to sleep in the swamp, and I'm going to wake up in the swamp, and I'm going to live in the swamp. But my God has all the authority in heaven and on earth. It says in Colossians 2.13, many things, many good things in Colossians. But the one thing in verse 15, it says, God has disarmed powers and authorities of all those creepy critters that are trying to swirl around me. He's disarmed them for me. May have... Swallowed somebody else, but he's not swallowing me because I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God, and I need not fear. I need not worry. I need not panic. In fact, I shouldn't. 
he's disarmed powers and principalities. In Luke 10, 19, it says, and by the way, that authority that Jesus has given, he's given it to you. When that big old alligator comes up to look like he's menacing, he's going to swallow you, you say, in the name of Jesus, close your mouth and swim away from me, and he's going to do it. You have been given God's authority. You don't have to panic in life anymore. So stop panicking. Stop doing it. Psalms 91, talking about these, these snakes and these, these uh, predators that are out there. I was talking to somebody on the phone the other day. I said, man, there's predators all over the place. You think you can just pull up your phone and find out every pedophile that's around? No. We're a pre- I'm a predator sometimes. We're, we're all capable of things that are atrocious, that are horrible. That's, just knowing who they are is not going to help you. The Bible says in Psalms 91 that you're going to tread on the lion. You're going to trample on the great lion and the serpent. If you're in Christ, you need not panic anymore. You need not worry. You need not have these what-if scenarios. No, no, no. God is on your side if you're on his side. All right, so let's read on. Let's, in fact, let's go back so we can continue kind of the thought here in, in Isaiah 7. It says, uh, all the, they, they have fierce anger. They've plotted his ruin. They're going to invade Judah. They're going to tear it apart. But in verse 7, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. So all those worries, all those panic thoughts that you have, God's telling you, I'm not going to let it happen. Start looking at me. Start listening to me. Start following me and stop panicking. It says, for the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin, only a man. (laughs) But he was saying, Ahaz, I'm your head. Your enemy has no head, (laughs) has no spiritual authority. But when it comes to you, King Ahaz, I'm your spiritual authority and you need not worry anymore. That's why it's so important for us to come under Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going to start following you. I'm going to let you be my authority because when God is your authority, no one and no thing can overcome you anymore because you have God Almighty as your head, as your authority. That's why that centurion said, uh, you know, he had asked Jesus, come heal my servant. And, and the, the, the centurion said, I get this, Jesus. I'm a man under authority, and I have men under my authority. I tell one to go, and he goes. Why? Because the centurion was under his commanding officer's authority. Get under Jesus' authority, and you will begin to have authority in your life and over your life. You won't be out of control anymore. He says the king, the head of Aram, is this guy named Rezin. In 65 years... Ephraim, which was Israel, will be too shattered of a people. The head of, of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria, again, is a human being. He's saying, Ahaz, I'm your head. I'm God Almighty. All these other countries and enemies, they just have people over them. You have God over you. You have God over you. And then he says something that you're going to get a text about this week that says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. It's time to stop falling over every time a little wisp of 
air hits you and you get scared. Stand tall, stand strong, and stand firm in your faith in God. And you won't be blown over by every little circumstance, every little lie, every little threat that gets whispered in your ear or that you see. But let's go back to God's instruction of when you want to panic. When you're tempted to panic, these three things in verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 7, God says to, to Isaiah, say to him, be careful, be calm, and don't be afraid. Let's study these. All right, so first of all, be careful. Well, the paranoid person does exactly that. They're careful, overly careful. They won't make a decision because they're afraid that they're going to make a mistake. So obviously, that's not the carefulness that's described here. It really needs to be translated, many translations it is, is be watchful. Be watchful. And let me show you the same Hebrew word is used many times in Genesis, throughout Genesis, one of them being in Genesis 3, verse 21. And let me give you the kind of the context of the scripture. Adam and Eve have sinned. They've been kicked out of the garden. And God places an angel to watch over, to be careful over the tree of life. And the, the kind of the translation is that this angel watches over this tree from 360 degrees. He's watching it from every angle. He's keeping care over it from every angle. Let me tell you what. We need to start watching over our faith in the same way. Watch your faith. Be careful with your faith from 360 degrees. Your, your faith is your connection with God. Watch over your connection with God. Don't watch over your problem. Watch over your faith. God's watching your problem. He's got you covered there. You and I, we need to watch over our faith from 360 degrees. Well, how do you strengthen your faith? You read your Bible. You practice it. How often have you read your Bible this week? That's just between you and God. If you've read it once, you're not watching over your faith very much. If you read it daily, you're watching over your faith, your connection with God very well. Come to church once a week. Are you watching over your faith really strong? I don't know. That's between you and God. But I'll tell you, the more you come to life-giving church, the stronger your faith is going to be. All right? How about prayer? The more you talk to God and listen to God, the stronger your faith is going to be. Watch over your faith in these three ways, and you'll have a strong connection with God. God's going to take care of your problems. You don't have to panic anymore. Another way, another way, or another place, this Hebrew word of watchfulness was used was in Genesis 2.15. All right? Here, Adam is told by God, I'm giving you this garden. And in this garden, I want you to cultivate it and I want you to watch it. In other words, I want you to guard your garden. Every one of our lives is like a garden, and we need to watch over our life. We were watching a stupid movie last night that got into all kinds of spiritism and dumb things. And I looked over at my family. I said, do we want to watch this? You know, it was already kind of going down the wrong path, and everybody said, no, this is, this is bad stuff. We turned it off. What were we doing? We're watching our garden. We're caring for our life. 
I don't want anything coming into my garden that shouldn't be in there. What Adam and Eve did, though, they didn't watch their garden. You know how I know? They let a talking snake into their garden. (laughs) Hey, don't talk to animals that are talking back to you, (laughs) especially if they're a snake. The first mistake that Eve and Adam made, and I say Eve and Adam because she's the first one to speak to it, all right? He's the weakling. She engaged, (laughs) all right? That's, that, that's of, of no consequence. But here's the point. The first mistake was that they made wasn't that they talked or allowed themselves to be tempted. They let that stupid snake into their garden. They should have never let the snake into their garden. They should have been watching over their lives. You and I, we've got to be watching over our lives just like Adam was told to, 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 uh, to watch over the garden. There's snakes that are trying to slither into your life all the time. Don't let them in. Don't let them in. You know what they are. Refuse their entry into your life. In Genesis 4-9, Cain had killed Abel in cold-blooded murder. And God says to Cain, he says, where's your brother Abel? And you know what Abel, excuse me, you know what Cain says? He says, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, am I the one watching over my brother? And you know what God was saying? Yeah, you are. I am the keeper of my family. I watch over them. As soon as I see something in their life that troubles me, I immediately go to prayer and start saying, God, I rebuke this in the name of Jesus. I don't want this in my kid's life. I don't want this in my wife's life. I don't want this in my life. I am my brother's keeper, and I'm responsible for you. That's why I pray for you. That's why I ask you to be not just come to church, be a part of the church. That's why I ask you to read your Bibles. I am your keeper, and you're my keeper. Watch me, too. Iron sharpens iron. It goes both ways. But in Genesis 17, 9, Abraham is told by God to keep the covenant that God has made with him. In other words, to watch over the covenant. God has made you promises. Watch over the promises that God has made you until they're fulfilled, until they're kept. All right, so Ahaz was not to watch over Jerusalem. He was to watch over his faith and strengthen his connection with God. Instead, Ahaz panicked. He was stressed out because he was trying to watch over Jerusalem. when He was trying to do God's job instead of his own job, which was to watch over his own faith. So don't watch over your problem. Watch over your faith in God. In Psalms 121, verses 3 through 4, which Ahaz should have been aware of because it was already written at his time. God says through the psalmist, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God's watching over your life. You need to watch over your faith. Stop watching your problems. Let God do that for you. All right, in Luke Speaking of watching over our faith, in Luke 22, verses 31 through 32, Jesus speaks to Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. (laughs) Your, Your responsibility, my responsibility is our faith in God. God can't do that for us. You've got to do that for yourself. Strengthen your connection, your faith with God. Guard your faith with God. Foster it. Exercise it. Stand in it. That's why in Jude, verse 22, excuse me, verse 20, there's only one chapter in Jude. 
So that's why I go straight to the verse. It says, but you, dear friends, building yourself up in your most holy faith. Man, strengthen your faith. You build your faith up. Listen to God. The more you listen to him, the stronger faith you will have. All right. The second way to stop panicking, to avoid panic, is to keep calm. Obviously, it's the opposite of panic, is just to stay calm. And that's what, that's what God tells Isaiah to tell Ahaz, is tell him to keep calm. Now, how do you keep calm in life? You trust in God. That's the number way, one, number one way is, uh, is you trust in God. If you will trust in God, you will stay calm. I've had reason for the last four or five, six weeks to be panicked at work, but I've resolved to stay calm and trust God. Not just trust in God, I'm trusting God. He's going to take care of my needs at work, and he's already doing it. I'm already seeing him do it in an unbelievable way. I won't go into any details, but panic is the opposite of trusting in God. Panic is when you start trusting yourself and you see, I can't do it. Panic causes you to stop thinking. Did you realize that every time you panic, you turn your brain off? Panic drains every ounce of energy that you have or strength in you. As soon as you panic, you have no energy, no strength, and you have no ability to accomplish anything. So stop panicking. Panic is a decision, by the way. You have decided to panic, and you can decide to unpanic. You can do it. Stay calm. Trust in the Lord. As a Christian, God will never inflict panic on you. Panic always comes from the enemy. Now, God inflicts panic on his enemies, but you as a Christian, as a child of God, you're never going to have God cause you panic. So what is this calmness all about? It's being quiet. It's being still. It's staying undisturbed. It's having rest. It's having rest in your soul. It's saying, Jesus, you have rest. Give me some of that rest and let me put it in my soul. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's having peace. Staying calm is staying in God's peace. There's this canopy of God's peace. You can go out and get under it and stay there. You don't have to panic anymore. I've thought, you know, what's some of the worst things that could happen to me? Um, I hate to be, you know, throw these things out here, but I, I, I like to think worst case scenario sometimes and test myself to see how I would react. Uh, if my wife died, that'd be terrible. If my kids were kidnapped, that'd be horrible. All right, so those are two really bad scenarios. I've already decided in my head, if that ever happens, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to panic. First of all, God's going to protect them, but you got to say that. I'm not going to panic under any circumstance. I'm going to stay calm. I'm going to stay calm. All right. Panic happens when you've placed your hope in something and then that something is taken away from you. Well, if you place your hope in Jesus, he's never taken away from you. So you have no reason to ever panic. All right. So how can I be still and be quiet in the midst of crisis? It's about who I know. <laughs> I know Jesus and I, I know uh, the more I get to know him, the more I will trust in him. That's why in Psalms 46, 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. In 2 Timothy 1, 12, it says, uh, that's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know 
who I have believed in. Do you know? You, a lot of people say they know God, but a lot of people say they believe in God, but how many people actually know God? The more you know God, the more you're going to trust him and the less you'll be subject to panic. If you are struggling with worry a lot, you don't know Jesus well enough. Get to know him better. You'll trust him more and your worries will subside. So instead of trying to stop worrying, just get to know Jesus more and more and more and you'll panic less and less and less. Know Jesus. Colossians 3.15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You were called to peace. You were called to calmness. You were called to stillness. You were called to, to being a collect, collecting your thoughts and not freaking out. In 2 Timothy 4.5, Paul instructs Timothy, he says, keep your head in all situations. It's time for you and me to keep our head, no matter what the doctor says, no matter what our family says, no matter what the government says, no matter what the news says, I'm going to keep my head. I'm going to be calm. Deuteronomy 20, verse 3, it says, Here, Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic. Isaiah 28, 16, it talks of Jesus as being a stone uh, that we can stand on a tested stone, a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. If you will trust in God, if I will trust in God, we will never, ever panic again in our life. There's no need for panic. Stay calm. Finally, lastly, three more minutes. Don't be afraid. God tells us this in his word over and over and over. He tells his people over and over, don't be afraid. You're facing something big. Don't be afraid. Be fearless. And I want you to just stop and just dream a second with me. What would your life be like if you never feared again? What if you were completely fearless? Wow, <laughs> is right. Let me tell you something. God wants you to be that way, and he's equipped you to be that way. You can be fearless. The closer you grow to Jesus, the less fearful a person you will be. You'll be able to sleep at night. You'll be able to think clearly. Oh, you are on your path to being a fearless person. You're on your path. Perfect love casts out or drives out all fear. The more you know how much Jesus loves you, the less fearful you are. Because you know he's got you covered. He's not going to fail you. What things do we need to know? I mean, the world is a scary place. What do we need to know about Jesus? He's real. He loves you. He's active. He's all-powerful. He has all authority. And Jesus fights for you and is going to protect you. You don't have to fear anymore. No more panic attacks in the name of Jesus. I declare it over you. No more panic attacks in your life no more, because Jesus' presence is going to be with you. You're going to know he's with you, and you're going to say, I don't have to fear anymore. I'm done with fearing. Praise God. You have the supreme advantage as a Christian, but you have to grow in your knowledge of who he is and how he views you as his beloved child, as his treasured possession. Here's a couple of scriptures to end. Colossians 1.10 
it says that we need to grow in the knowledge of God. You know, Tina and I dated for two years before we were engaged. And then I got married and I finally started getting to know her. (laughs) I don't think you can get to know anybody until you've lived with them, you know. And I'm telling you, don't start living with your girlfriend, boyfriend until you get married. All right, so I'm not proposing that. But you're not really going to get to know somebody until you live with them on a day-in, day-out basis. You need to live with Jesus for a while. Get to know him. He already knows you, but get to know Jesus. Live with Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Ask Jesus. Know him. Psalms 53, verse 5, it says, uh, listen to this one. This is great, man. Uh, I was thinking about Berman and Nadia and I texted them. I, I sent it out to a bunch of people, but at Berman and Nadia, I was thinking in particular, uh, as, as Nadia is there, and MD Anderson by herself for six weeks, radiation treatment. How would you feel? How would you feel? And how would Berman feel having to come back to work and being separated from his precious bride, who he wishes he could be with, to strengthen and encourage and God tells them this in Psalms 53, 5. But there they were, overwhelmed with dread, where there was nothing to dread. God scattered the bones of those who attacked you. You put them to shame, for God despised them. Praise God. God is with Berman. He's with Nadia right now online, comforting them, helping them. Many times we think there's something to dread, and God's saying, there's nothing to dread. I've got it in control. I've interfered with the enemy's plans on this one. You have nothing to worry about. Amen. Trust in the Lord. Know the Lord. Three ways to overcome panic today. Watch over your faith. Stay calm by trusting in God. And be fearless by knowing Jesus more and more every day. Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord, you've given us a strategy to overcome panic in our lives, anxiety in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you don't leave us alone as orphans. No, you've adopted us into your family and you've given us all the riches of heaven, all the resources of heaven to live our lives. Lord Jesus, we lack nothing for life and godliness. You've given us everything. Lord, help us to grow, to know you more and know those resources that you've granted us more and more so that we don't panic. Don't panic. Praise God. I'd like you, you know.